0: Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand this evening. It is so good to be in the presence of God, expecting something awesome. Amen. One time when when the people were praying, Jesus' response was, according to your faith, be it unto you. And uh, that has convicted me at times. Uh, I've been told also that it is insulting to God to ask Him for small things, little things, when He could do a great big thing. Uh, That's not to say that we don't have small little things we ask Him for, but to not be able to ask God for the great big things as well. God can do those just as easily. And so much more, Amen. Uh, I want us to pray specifically tonight for uh, Sister Shepherd's mom, Sandy. Uh, she fell unconscious at her apartment this evening. Uh, Sister Shepherd is on her way over there now, and uh, so uh, she said they're going to have some decisions to make in the near future concerning that. So let's uh, let's pray for that family. Let's pray for Sandy. Let's pray for our service. Amen. As always, this is God's service. We are His people. Let's ask that His perfect will would be done, that He would have complete freedom and liberty here to do everything that He wants to do today. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We turn to You, our Lord and Savior, because You have all power, You have all authority. We acknowledge and we declare in the Spirit that You sit on the throne tonight. You have been on the throne. You will always be on the throne. Hallelujah, Jesus. We declare that You are Lord and God in this place. You are Lord and God in our lives. We ask, Lord Jesus, for Sandy Becker, that You would continue to minister in that situation. Not only healing, but You would deliver truth unto her that You would open her eyes, that You would open her ears, help her to see and to understand and to be converted. Help her, Lord Jesus, lead her to a place of repentance, (coughs) unto salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Direct that family, give them peace that passes all understanding. And I pray that in our midst here this evening, those present here, those joining us online, would be ministered unto by the Holy Ghost, that You would have complete liberty in this place, to do all that You want to do, that all that Your heart desires. Help us to submit ourselves to the will and to the plan of God in this place and in the service tonight. This is Your service. We are Your people. You are in charge here. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify You. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High this evening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You alone are exalted. You alone are lifted up and magnified in this And in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Let your great and mighty name be magnified. Let it be worshipped and glorified in our midst here this evening. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. He is so good to us. He is so good to us. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing this evening. You can be seated. We left off last week on a study of. Uh, I didn't text you. No handouts. Okay, that's my fault. I apologize. Uh, they're online. You can uh, you can go online and uh, and print that bad boy off amen <laughs> last week's you have last week's okay yeah there's supposed to be one this week I did not get the message out though my bad okay uh, I'll fix that in the future uh, we left off on the Word of God and uh, just to kind of recap The Word of God is uh, where we need to start. That's where everything comes from. The Word of God is what created everything. And so, uh, starting there is is always a good choice. There are different areas when we look at Scripture, at the Bible. Uh, We talked about inspiration. We talked about authority, truth, canon, clarity, sufficiency, and necessity. Uh, We were about to get into translation when... Time, which uh, never ceases, never stops moving, caught up to me. Amen. So, that's where we're going to start this evening. And then we're going to get into obedient faith, Lord willing. The rapture doesn't happen before that. Amen. Bible translations, Matthew 28 and 19 says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And Revelation 7 and 9 states, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Maybe a psalm in their heart. Palms in their hands. Amen. So we see that the command of Jesus Christ is to go into all nations. Unfortunately... Uh, For those of us in the United States, all nations do not speak good, proper King's English. They just don't. Neither do all nations speak the original Greek or the original Hebrew. Therefore, uh, we need to translate. I suppose it would be possible to start doing classes, and if we're trying to win someone to the Lord, we could run them through a two, three year course on original languages and and then we could start them on a Bible study. However, maybe it would be just easier and and simpler and quicker just to translate the Word of God into someone's own language. That's what we do. And so, uh, the the original languages, of course, were Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, uh, but God's Word was always meant for everyone, everywhere. Amen. Not just those that spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Yes, there are always some losses in meaning when translating between languages. Okay? There is uh, the phrase lost in translation. There are some nuances, there are some idioms, some colloquialisms that just don't translate. And so, uh, translators, prayerfully, uh, in study and, and their knowledge of the original languages, they do their very best to translate uh, the message of Scripture as close as they can. Okay? Now, having said that, it has always been my position that the Bible I'm holding in my hand is the very Word of God. It is. It is the Word of God. It's true from the very first word to the very last. Does it line up directly with the original Hebrew? No, it does not. Does the New Testament line up with the Aramaic and the Greek? Word for word, no, it does not. The obvious example, and one we've used here before, is the word love. The Greeks have 89,000 words for love. We have one. They don't have 89,000. They have a few. Three for sure. I think they have more four or five anyway um we have one i love hamburgers i love jesus christ i love my wife it's all the same word meanings are entirely different so just understand the original message the intent that god was trans was was transferring from his mind to us is intact it's intact okay The message remains intact. The meaning remains intact. God will reveal meaning to us as we read His Word through the working of the Holy Ghost. Okay? The nice thing about Scripture, it it is to a large degree redundant. That's why we can let Scripture interpret Scripture, which is a good exegetic principle. We need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And because it is redundant, if we have confusion in one area, we can look at probably a couple other areas to get clarification. So we don't have to worry too much about that. We follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. Again, His sheep will know His voice. And when we're reading something prayerfully, when we're reading something with the intent to seek God for understanding... I don't think we have to be too worried about falling into error. Why? Because God is not going to lead us into error. He's going to lead us into truth. How are we doing tonight? (laughs) Okay. Just checking. No one's saying anything. You don't have to say anything. I just... Now that I know, we're good. Okay. (laughs) God has provided His church preachers and teachers who have been gifted to clarify and explain more fully the meaning contained in God's Word. Uh, These are actual callings. Teachers especially are, are anointed by God to be able to read Scripture and then transmit the meaning of that or explain it more fully or more completely so that somebody can, oh, okay, that's what that means. Oh, that's how I can apply that. And it's a beautiful thing. When a a God-ordained, God-anointed teacher comes and explains God's Word to us. To get the Gospel to all the world, we must translate God's Word into languages people can understand so that God's Word is made available to them. It was never God's intention to keep His Word from people. It was always His intention for them to have it, to possess it for themselves. I still can't get the words of our missionary that we had here recently out of my mind. Oh, well, his wife, I think. People would give weeks' worth of wages to buy a Bible that they couldn't even read. That is that is awesome and that is convicting. Amen. There are people so desperately hungry for God's word in this world. And all they're waiting on is a good translation. That's all they're waiting on. Amen. Interpretation. Luke 24:27 says, "And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." Okay, we need to understand at the outset That there is only one correct interpretation of God's Word. And that's not my interpretation. And it's not your interpretation. It's God's interpretation. He is the one that needs to interpret His Word to us. Interpretation, in the sense we're describing here, means that you're trying to answer the complaint I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? There's nothing wrong with going to the Lord. Going to someone else and saying, I'm having trouble understanding this Scripture. Can you tell me what it means? Going to the Lord in prayer. Can you please help me out? Of all people, God is going to know what that means. I promise you. He knows what every Scripture in this book means. So if we ask Him, He will give us wisdom. Understand also, this problem arises from a deficiency in the hearer, not from any shortcoming in Scripture. Again, it has been God's intent from the beginning for people to possess the Word of God, but not just to possess it, but to be able to understand it. Scripture, excuse me, the Word of God is very easy for us to understand when we approach it properly, when we approach it prayerfully. When we approach it with the idea of receiving from the Lord the meaning of this scripture, passage of scripture, rather than approaching the word of God with a predetermined idea of right and wrong and looking for confirmation in God's word. That approach is going to lead to confusion. It's going to lead it's going to lead to worse things. But starting off, it's going to be very difficult for you to understand certain scriptures especially those that contradict your preconceived ideas of right and wrong. So when we approach the Word of God properly, prayerfully, wanting to receive from the Lord, Scripture is easy to understand. Now I'm not saying that you're still not going to have issues from time to time. Okay? My point is that the Word of God is easy to understand. Either When we read it, when we pray over it, or when it's been explained to us, we can receive that. And it's okay. Awesome. That's what I needed to know. Thank you. And then we go about and we start doing that. Or we stop doing what it says not to do. But any problems understanding Scripture does not come from Scripture itself. Again, it's God's perfect will for you to understand what He's trying to convey there have been many controversies concerning biblical interpretation. Some are too literal when the text is obviously meant to be taken allegorically. A lot of revelation, for example, is allegory, not, to be, not meant to be taken literally. Conversely, some seek to allegorize every scripture when they were obviously meant to be taken literally. The Book of Genesis, for example, a lot of people like to allegorize the creation event. Those weren't literal days; those were just periods of time. Those were uh, Satan wasn't a—he's not a physical entity. He's not an actual real person. He's—he's he's an idea. He's—he's he's a concept. It's an allegory. It's—it's it's, its a representation of something. No, that's not true either. So, there are many rules and guidelines on how to properly interpret Scripture, rules of definition, usage, context, etc. But they are all of themselves ineffective without the leading and guiding of the Holy Ghost. That is first and foremost when we approach Scripture. We need the leading and guiding of the Holy Ghost to help us. We need God to help us, to give us revelation, to to expound the meaning of these verses to us. The question we're trying to answer is, what is God trying to tell me here, rather than, what do I think this means? Those are two entirely different approaches, two entirely different uh, philosophies concerning biblical interpretation. The correct answer is, what is God trying to tell me here? Let God speak to you when you open His Word. Let God communicate to you His meaning. And what's so awesome about the Word of God, and I think you probably already know this, you can read a scripture one day and get one meaning, just what you needed for that day. You can come back a year later, read that again, and the message is entirely different, but it's exactly what you needed. Same meaning. Same scripture. But it's communicated to you differently. It means something different to you because of what you're going through or what you've experienced. It's the living Word of God. You can read it for a thousand years. You can read the same verse for a thousand years. And then the next day, you can approach that same verse and get something brand new out of it. It's awesome. It's infinite. You will never plume the depths of this book. It's an awesome book. Okay, rule of faith. I said that we would be covered in another lesson. <laughs> We're at the other lesson. How about that? In concluding this one, as the tabernacle was at the center of the Israelites encampment in the wilderness, so must God, God's Word, be at the center of our lives. Every aspect of our lives as we move through the wilderness of this world on our way to the promised land. Amen. Now, obedient faith. Faith is (laughs) a big topic, Uh, one that we're going to cover in the remainder of our time. And so, obviously, we're not going to touch on every little aspect of it, uh, but hopefully the aspect that is important to us this evening. James chapter 2, verse 14 says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Amen. Now, I've told a story here before. Uh, I'm going to tell the same story, but from a different perspective. And most of you will know what it, what the story is. A man has a wife, has two kids, planning a vacation. They got the vacation. They got the time off, and they're excited, and they're heading out. They'd never seen Niagara Falls before. They got there, and all they could hear was the rushing of the water. As they got closer, they could feel a little bit of the spray and it was loud. It was thunderous. It was beautiful. There's all kinds of other activities going on. The kids are off uh, running here, and and, uh, his wife is looking at the the food, the shops. And he's just staring out, looking at Niagara Falls. And he kind of sees a commotion off to the right. So he goes over to see what's, what's going on there. A bunch of people gathered around. So he goes out, edges over to the crowd, and there's a guy there with a tightrope across Niagara Falls one one part of it and he's doing all kinds of crazy things he's walking across okay that's cool then he walks across blindfolded then he walks across juggling some some balls and he's just doing all this crazy stuff and the guy he's he's getting more and more into this so he gets closer and closer and closer and he's getting really excited and the crowd is getting excited and he's getting excited and So finally, the guy comes back, and he grabs a wheelbarrow and says, hey, you guys think I can go across this with this wheelbarrow? Now, understand, the wind's blowing now, and the wheelbarrow's kind of big, and everyone's kind of thinking, the wind's going to catch that a little bit, so you're going to have to be careful. No one's thinking that at all. Everyone's, yeah, yeah, you could do that. And they're cheering them on, they're cheering them on. And so he points to the guy on vacation. He says, well, jump on in. We'll head across. He's not cheering anymore. Now he's kind of a little bit afraid. What's going through the man's mind? What was going through him a second ago? Nothing. This guy can do this. No problem. He's been doing all this other stuff. But now... Now he's asking me to commit to this. And he doesn't want to. See, if that guy, the guy walking across the tightrope, if he fell in, that would be unfortunate. Sure. I'd be kind of kind of a downer on my vacation day. But it's not going to affect me at all. I'll get over it. I still got a week left. We'll get over it. That guy, he won't get over it. He's gone. So I don't care. Yeah, go. You probably can. But now, if I got to go, if I'm committing to it, now I got some skin in the game, don't I? Now I'm a little bit more concerned about it. Do I really believe that he can do this? Now I'm not so sure. And a lot of Christians are like that exactly. They're like that precisely. They're fine to commit as long as I don't have to put any skin in the game. They'll tear everyone else on. But if anyone asks of them, now I'm not so sure. When it starts costing me something, I don't know anymore. So, when we're talking about faith, I'm not going to say anything probably tonight you haven't heard before. Faith requires action. Faith demands action. Do I believe that guy can make it across? Prove it demonstrate it otherwise it's just talk that's all it is hebrews 11 and 1 familiar verse to most of us this is the the scripture people most will likely come to when we're talking about faith faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen And the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is a record of not people explaining the nature of their faith. Not people going in depth as to why they believe what they do. They're not even trying to explain the importance of faith. It's a record of what they did. It's a record of what they accomplished. What they wrought through faith. It seems to me, generally speaking, that God is is really excited about results. Results. When we're born again, He wants to see us grow. He wants to see us mature. He wants to see us learn. He wants to see us, at some point, producing for the kingdom of God. He doesn't seem all that interested in a lot of talk about why I believe what I do. And I think all of that's important. It has its place. I do that a lot. I like doing that. But even in that, there should be something being produced. When I'm talking to something about why I believe what I do, why I believe the Scriptures are true, that ought to be producing something in that individual that ought to be doing God's work in some way. Because of faith, these people in Hebrews 11 accomplished. They wrought. They worked. They did. We read about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, even the nation of Israel, all doing amazing things through faith. And then in verse 32, it says this, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Wow, this sounds really good so far. They're doing an awful lot through faith. Women received their dead raised to life again. And then the tone changes. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So there's two aspects of faith I want to touch on tonight. Faith produces results, first of all. Faith also produces endurance. Okay, results. It matters in what or in whom we believe. It matters what the object of our faith is. If we don't believe in the right object, the right person, it doesn't matter. If we look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. It says this, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer And the Philistines pitched an Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. Not a good situation. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Well, how did that work? If we look at verse 10, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. That's quite a bit more than the 4,000 previous. (laughs) What happened? What went wrong here? Obviously we know, we have the, the gift of hindsight here. They believed their faith was placed, the object of their faith was the ark. Not in God. They had heard the stories. They knew that when Joshua commanded the, the priests to walk across Jordan, God opened up the river Jordan, spread it wide. They knew that the ark represented the very presence of God. But they got something really, really wrong. The ark isn't going to save anybody. The ark is a box of wood. That's all it is. Without God, it does it's meaningless. It's pretty, it's beautiful, probably worth something. But it has no power of its own. There's nothing special about it without God. They thought the ark would save them. That when it comes, it may save us. No mention of God. No faith in God. I don't doubt that they believed. I don't doubt that they had faith. Great faith in the ark. But it didn't matter, did it? It didn't matter one bit. If we look at Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to encompass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Ever been there? And the people spake against God. Hopefully you haven't been there. And against Moses, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? <laughs> at least at least come up with something different. If you're going to complain and moan and whine and gripe, come up with something original. This is the same stuff since they crossed the Red Sea till this present moment. It's the same thing, same complaints. For there is no bread. Neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. I didn't consider this before, had not considered this before, but just seeing it now. It's interesting that they always want Moses to pray. <clears throat> they, always, they always want Moses to go before God and, and clear this up for us, please. That wasn't the plan. That was never the plan. Moving on, verse 8. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now again, it's important to understand, this brass pole is just a brass pole. That's all it is. It's obedience to the word of God that's going to heal them. When they looked to the pole according to the Word of God, they were going to be healed. If they didn't, they wouldn't. The pole didn't have any power to heal. And yet, we find in Hezekiah's day, when he becomes king, that they were worshipping this pole. They were worshipping it. For what reason? Why were they worshipping the pole? Because it had supernatural power. No. God had supernatural power. And only God. They started focusing on the object and placing their faith in it instead of in God. So the results of our faith, those things that we're expecting and seeking, they are predicated upon the ability of the one we're putting our trust in. When a small child reaches out and says, catch me, Daddy, on top of the stairs, and they don't even wait for an answer, they just jump. Why is that? They have complete faith in Dad. Now hopefully Dad's up to the task. Hopefully, hopefully he can catch the small child just fine. I'll speak for my family because it, there are a lot of people, more than, more than I had ever thought, that didn't have this kind of upbringing. I didn't have a perfect upbringing by any stretch of the imagination, but there was always food on the table. I always had clothes on my back. There was always money for everything that, that needed to be taken care of. And so, when I was growing up, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about where the food came from. I didn't think about, well, Dad had to go, he had to go work and get a paycheck and then go and buy groceries. Later on, I found out about buying groceries. <laughs> but... But as a small child, I just, supper time, okay. And there's the food, all cooked and ready to go. And I never worried about it. I know some of you have. But I never did. I never gave it a second thought. Supper time comes rolling around. I hear the call wherever I'm out in the field, I'm out in the woods. Blah, 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 blah. And I come running. That's what it sounded like, 40 acres away. (laughs) But I knew what it meant. And so, I never thought about it. I had complete faith that there was going to be a meal there. When I woke up in the morning, there was going to be breakfast. Uh, Occasionally we ran out of milk, stuff like that, but I was going to have something to eat. Those people who didn't have that kind of upbringing, they didn't have that kind of faith. They didn't always trust. They didn't always believe that there was going to be a meal waiting there for them. People with our government. There's a lot of faith in our government today. People just expecting the government to take care of us. And good, bad, or indifferent, I'm not sure that that's, that's a good place to put our faith. I'm just not 100% convinced that the government has my best interest at heart. Not 100%. Believing in ourselves or in a loved one. how How many people have loved ones that have let them down? Probably all of us. How many have let themselves down? Probably all of us. So when we're putting our trust in any one of these things... We leave ourselves open to get let down. For that person, that individual, that entity, that organization to fail us. But there is, of course, one person who never will. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never fail you. Never. You might walk away from Him, but He'll never walk away from you. Never. James speaks about putting our faith in God and the works that demonstrate that faith. In James chapter 2 verses 14 through 23, I know it's a little long reading, but we'll get through it. Verse 14, What doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith if it hath not works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say thou hast faith and I have works. Sow me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Again, belief, faith, will always produce a result, an action, a choice. Stating that I believe without any resulting action is kind of like standing on a street corner with a picket sign saying, I am against poverty. I hope you are against poverty. Okay, I hope you're not for poverty. But what is he doing? Of course he's against poverty. (laughs) We're all against poverty. The picket sign isn't going to feed anyone. It's not going to clothe anyone. It's not going to help anyone no skin in the game something easy to do i think today they call it virtue signaling <clears throat> they're just putting stuff out on facebook oh i am against this i'm for that awesome so so what does that mean what what are you what are you doing toward that end <laughs> i post it on facebook Okay. Uh, How's that working? It's working great. Everyone knows what I'm for. Everybody knows what I stand for. Sounds good, man. Keep up the, fight the good fight, brother. But they're not doing anything. They're not producing anything. And again, uh, a lot of Christians are the same way. I'm against poverty. I'm against sin. I'm against the devil. I'm, I'm for righteousness. Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever it might be. <clears throat> okay. What does that mean? What does it mean to believe something? What does it mean to stand for something? What does it mean to have faith in something? I believe it exists. I believe in Jesus. I believe that somewhere around 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus who walked on the earth. Does that mean I'm saved? Nope. Nope, got a little bit more to go before that happens. That's a good first step. Need to believe that He is. It's a reward of them that diligently seek Him. This, this word believe, this word faith, has come to mean something completely divorced from Scripture. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with what, what God talks about in His Word. If we really truly believe that God is, and that this is God's Word, and that we believe what His Word says, that He created everything, including us, that we rebelled against Him, and that because of that rebellion, there's sin and death in the world today... But God came as a man and paid the full legal price of my sin himself so that I wouldn't have to. Shouldn't that move me to take some kind of action? Absolutely it should. Yeah, I believe all that's true. What are you going to do with it? What do I need to do with it? I already said I believe it. That's not enough. It's good that you believe that. I'm glad you believe that this is the Word of God and that it's true. But something more needs to take place. If our faith is centered in God's Word, then yes, it would cause us to take action. But not everyone's faith is in God or in His Word. So that means there's going to be a different action or a different result that ensues. I've used this example before. If I truly believe in the power and in the efficacy of prayer, I'm going to be a praying man. I can say I believe in prayer. I can say it, you know, cheer the the testimony service on, how that everyone's getting their prayers answered. Fantastic. Awesome. Yay. Praise God. But I'm not praying myself. Do you believe in prayer? Yeah. Listen to all the testimonies. Why aren't you praying? At the end of the day, it's because I don't believe in the power of prayer. Maybe I just don't believe in it for me. But if I'm not praying, it's because I don't believe it works. Not truly. Not enough to put some skin in the game. Not enough to get up early and, and, and... i got an upstairs that I go to. It's cold right now because there's no heat up there, but it keeps me awake. (laughs) So that's good. I call it my my Mount Sinai. I'm climbing up on Mount Sinai. In probably 20 years, it's going to feel like Mount Sinai. (laughs) But but that's where I go to pray. And... uh, I have no idea why that even came up. Anyway, uh, I failed myself. See that? We're talking about prayer. Yeah, getting up early. Thank you, (laughs) my beautiful bride. Maybe someone else said it, but I didn't hear you. Um, So getting up early, yeah. Putting some skin in the game. There are a few people that like to get up early. I'm not one of them. But I do, because it's good for me. Uh, And meeting with God every day, whether I feel like it or not, is not something I always want to do. I don't always want to go up to that cold room, especially when it's 10 below out. It's really cold in there 10 below. we got a little heater next to the, the faucet there so those don't freeze. Otherwise, that's it. (laughs) I don't want to go up there when it's 10 below out. But I I want to maintain a relationship with God. I want to grow that relationship with God. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe prayer works. And that's why I keep praying. I believe fasting works. That's why I fast. If I didn't, I wouldn't. If you don't, you won't. So in that sense, it becomes really easy then to tell where our faith lies, doesn't it? When your faith is in something else, your actions are going to be different than that. You're going to trust someone or something else rather than God, rather than God's word you won't feel the need to come to church all the time because when i'm feeling good i i don't need church that's for when i'm struggling that's for when i'm going through some stuff then i'll then i'll call out to god what actions are your is your faith producing today what actions is my faith producing today all right faith produces endurance Again, James speaks to this aspect of faith as well. James 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Count it all joy. That's easy enough, right? Looking forward to my next test. Can't wait to get to my next trial. Hmm. Hey bet. In Hebrews 11, we see that not everyone received the promise, but they still obtained a good report through faith. How can this be? If we have faith in God, if we trust in in Scriptures as absolutely true, then we have got to recognize, we've got to... Uh, Accept something about reality, something about existence. And that is that this life isn't all there is. It's not. It is literally a blip, a dash. That's really all this amounts to in the grand scheme of eternity. It's a very important blip, it's going to determine your eternity, but it's very short. Life exists beyond the confines of this earthly tabernacle. Life for us will be eternal. All of us are going to live forever somewhere. When we endure temptations, tests, trials, God is teaching us to love this life less and less and love eternal life more and more. I am just now starting to grasp this right here. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, freeing thing. My ties to this world are loosening every single day. And it's because of things that that we're encountering, that we're going through. <clears throat> no need to get into specifics. All of you are going through things as well. And they serve us. They serve us well. more and more I'm realizing there's nothing for me here. There's nothing at all for me here. And it used to be that I was nervous about thinking of of dying, death. Even something as painless as falling asleep and, and, and going to heaven. That made me nervous when I started really thinking about that. But now, I don't want to weird anybody out, but... When I think about it now, I get a little bit excited because whatever's here is just not worth anything. It's an empty ark. Without God, all of this is meaningless. It means nothing. It's going to burn someday, probably someday soon. I don't know, but I, I believe so. And it's all gone anyway. I am so looking forward to that aspect of my existence. The temptations we endure, the tests we go through, the trials we face, they loosen our bands to this fearful, fallen world. They cause us to to open our eyes a little bit wider and see this world for what it really is. We need to pull people out of it as fast as we can, as effectively as we can, because it's going down, folks. This ship is sinking fast. And if my hope is here, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think all the pity in the world is going to help me. <clears throat> when well, we hold on to that, we keep hold of that understanding, we're never going to misplace our faith in anything else. We're going to keep our faith in God will know that there's nothing out in this world that's worthy to put my faith into. It's mortal. It's secular. It's temporal. It's going to bust, destroy. It's going to get lost or stolen. It's going to leave. People are going to come and go out of my life. Whether I want them to or not. My trust in God, my salvation, my relationship with Him, those will span all of eternity. That's the only thing really worth investing in, folks, is our relationship with Jesus Christ, storing up treasures in heaven. Amen. What our faith and our confidence is in God, we can trust Him to see us through all of life's storms or to take us home. Either one is just fine. When God removes His presence from us in prayer, He's trying our faith. When God allows us to suffer loss or heartache, He's trying our faith. When God places us in impossible situations, are we going to call for the ark? Will we worship a brazen snake? Or is our faith going to stay in Jesus Christ? Everything will fail us. Everyone will fail us ultimately except for God except for God. In this case, the action faith may cause us to take is to patiently wait on God. Maybe the action our faith will manifest in times of endurance, test, temptation, is to fall on our faces before Him. But our faith in God will cause us to call out to Him, to rely on Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, and only Him. Amen. James 1, 22 through 23, 25 says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. And I close with this. When we read God's Word, when we hear it preached or taught, when we're reading it for ourselves, we need to do it. We've heard this a thousand times. But we need to do it. Hearing it is not enough. Hearing it doesn't check all the boxes. Hearing it There's a blessing in hearing the Word of God? Sure. But God can't manifest Himself in my life the way He wants to unless I'm doing it. Unless I do the Word of God. When we hear a Scripture we don't like, we choke it down. doesn't matter if I like it. It's good for me. I was a very picky eater when I was growing up. I guess I could afford to be. I didn't like beef roast. Can you imagine that? It's just awful, awful. God delivered me i love I love beef roast no <laughs> I didn't like cooked carrots I, I didn't like all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> I didn't like pretty much anything green. Anything green, except a salad. I like salad. Otherwise, But I had to eat it because I wanted dessert. And the only thing standing between me and that fresh apple pie was that stupid pile of broccoli. I choked it down. I almost gagged on it. But I choked it down. I love broccoli now. I'll eat it all day long. But I wanted that pie. (laughs) When I read something in God's Word, when I hear someone preach something that really hits home, really starts stepping all over my business, how am I going to react to that? I love the saying. uh, This is from a Louis L'Amour book. He said, uh, If you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, which one yelps? The one that got hit, that's right. When the preacher preaches a message and (laughs) he had no idea about anything, someone comes up to him and starts reading him the riot act. How could you say that in front of the whole congregation? Reading my mail, blah, blah, blah. One me, sir. (laughs) You know? And so, obviously we know who got hit there. But when I get hit, how do I respond to that? I took it down. It's good for me. It's the Word of God. I can be right, or I can be saved. I'm not interested in being right anymore. I so desperately want to be saved. Because when Jesus comes back as a thief in the night, I don't know when he's coming back. When I least expect him, that's when he's coming. I want to be ready. And if, if all that's standing between me and salvation is a stupid pile of broccoli, I'm going to choke the broccoli down and I'm going to move on. I'm going to get that sweet apple pie. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the apple pie in this analogy. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> we want to be right with God. Can faith save us? Absolutely. If our faith is placed in the right person, and in faith we are obedient to Him. Let's all stand.